couple weeks ago, uh, I shared with you about kind of the purpose of small group Bible study, of our small group ministry here. And, um, and if you remember, I started with a story about an entrepreneur who had a vision for what I called the video voice box. It's really kind of an interactive conferencing phone where you can see one another in another building or another room all the way around the world. And very much like we do our, our, our phones and you know computers now, but, but this is back in the 90s when, when that hadn't come around yet, but, but the technology was moving there. And you, if you remember, the entrepreneur found an engineer and said, can you build this? And he went, absolutely. And after a year, this guy, um, man, they had the most fabulous uh, warehousing system in the world. It was top-notch. It was, people were coming to tour their, their warehousing system. And of course, they threw a big party uh, the, the entrepreneur hears about this party. He shows up. People don't have any idea what he's talking about. Where's their video voice box? And, and, uh, and he goes to the engineer and he says, where's my video voice box? And he says, oh, we haven't got to that yet. Uh, we ha but we have this incredible warehouse. I mean, you got to see it. And the guy says, I didn't hire you to build a warehouse. I hired you to build a product. And so he fires the guy, shuts down the company, hires another company and builds it in six months. And I related that, if you remember that story, and if you, if you didn't, then, then I'll tell you, I related that to the mission of the church. Because the mission of the church is not to build warehouses for Christians. The mission of the church is to make a product. And that product is a disciple. And you remember, we looked at the purpose of the church, and we looked at the great commission as I said we're on mission with Christ in Matthew 28 18 through 20 Jesus is telling his disciples before he ascends into the heaven he's standing there with them on this mountain he says listen all authority has been on heaven and earth has been given to me and and in that authority I'm sending you out now you go and as you go you make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in teaching them to observe all things that I have taught you and don't forget, I will be with you until the end of the age. You're not doing this alone. You're on mission with me. And while we said that that was the primary mission of the church, it also, as we looked at, was the primary mission of our small group Bible study, is to make disciples. That's why it exists. That's why we have it at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning or whenever. We have some that meet on Monday and we have men's Bible studies that meet during the week and women's Bible studies but we also said that the primary disciple making ministry of Wind Baptist Church of this place right here was going to be our small group Bible study and we looked at what a definition of a disciple is if we're supposed to be making this product of a disciple we had to say alright well what does that look like show me that so I know what I'm supposed to be making so that if I know I'm getting close or going in the wrong direction or not and so we looked at Jesus' invitation to Peter and Andrew and to us as well to become lifestyle disciples. And we discovered that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, the invitation into discipleship was also the definition. And Jesus says to them, and he says to us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And as we looked at this verse, we discovered there are three parts to, to a disciple. One is come follow me and if you remember we said that is when we 
intentionally and consciously engage Jesus in a relationship as our Savior. But it's more than that, is that we wake up every day deciding to live in obedience to Him. No one else but to Christ. And so we said that was when we know Christ. We, we know Him personally and relationally. And then we said the second part we discovered was Jesus says, and I will make you. I will make you. Not me make me, but Christ will make me. And that as I learn to live in obedience unto Christ, that his spirit working in me, Jesus will transform me into his likeness. That his character becomes my character. His nature becomes my, my nature. I live my life more like Jesus than any other time. And we said, the first one was, we, we know Christ, now we're going to grow in Christ. Ex experientially grow in him as we experience him in new ways. And he grows us. And then we looked at the last part, and that was fishers of men. That as I consciously and intentionally enter into a relationship with him and decide to live in obedience to him and give up control of my life to him, that he is transforming me through the work of the Spirit. That he in me and I in him, that I'm getting his heart. And his mission becomes my mission. And we looked at... If you remember in Luke chapter 19, he says, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. And so lost people matter to us as they matter to him. But as in Matthew 28, making disciples matters to me because that mattered to him. And we can't stop there. And so we said that was go for Christ. Matter of fact, here's, here's a picture of what that looks like. We said that we would... Come follow me was know Christ, grow in Christ, and then go for Christ. We know, grow, and go. And so we can evaluate, how's my Bible study class doing? Am I helping people know Christ personally and relationally? Am I helping them grow experientially in, in knowing Him? Am I, is their faith growing? Are they trusting Him in new ways? Are they, are they developing a new biblical worldview? And then are they going for Christ? Whether that's across the street or across the world, are they willing to go where he sends them? Maybe it's into the workplace. Maybe it's into a ministry. Maybe it's across the world. Like James Langston and his family. James is here tonight. And, uh, man, dude, it is so good to see you. I, I can't tell you how much it is a blessing to see you. But James and Marcy and their family have gone to, to Zambia to make disciples so now that we know what a disciple is we have to ask it begs the question well how do I make one if I know what this is how do I help somebody go from here to here how do I help somebody go from from the raw material of a lost person to over here man I'm willing to go for Christ and invest in other people whether that's maybe being a teacher or being a full-time missionary overseas somewhere well, tonight, I want us to look at that question. How do we make disciples? Because if the primary disciple-making ministry here at Wind Baptist Church is the small group Bible studies, then we have to discover how do we do that in our small group Bible studies? Sorry, I'm all about logic. So if it doesn't make sense to me, then it's, it just doesn't make sense. But this seems to make sense. It's, look, Bible study on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, that's where we ought to be making disciples. So how do we do that in that context? So tonight I want to look at that. Would you turn in your Bibles to me with Acts chapter 2 
And we're going to begin reading in, in verse 42. Now, this is not a new passage. You, many of you could probably uh, quote this passage back. But I want us to get an idea of what making disciples in a small group looks like. Because I really believe this is a really good picture of that. And then I want us to learn some things from that, some areas that we can focus on. So, if you will follow me first with verse 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, well, let me stop. You have to ask the question, who's they? Well, they, if you look in verse 41, and it said, And those who accepted his message, Peter's, we're talking about Peter's sermon, his message, and were, uh, his, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. That's the they. Can you imagine? We woke up one Sunday, and 3,000 more people showed up here. Some of y'all would just be outright just, I can't believe they're coming. I'm having to sit in another place. I'm going to have to sit in a choir room, watch it on a TV. I'm going to sit in the lobby in the overflow. Are you kidding me? 3,000 people? Who do they think they are? Others of us would be like, we'd be pumped. Some of us would be going like, whoa, where are we going to put everybody? You know, we'd be filling classes, we'd be running cable, we'd be putting up TVs. We would get 3,000 people in here somehow. But imagine if he showed up. What if they showed up in your class? So that's the day, 3,000. Think about that. New believers just put their faith in God. They devoted themselves. And everyone, look at verse 43, and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As they were making disciples, God was saying, man, here's some more disciples. Here's some more new believers. Here's some more folks that need what you're doing. The question is, would God send new believers here because of what we're doing at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Every time I've read this passage for the last 20 years that I've been in full-time ministry, one question keeps coming to mind. One question drives me to do what I do and to push as I push with our leaders and, our, and, and those who are involved in disciple making, and that's this question. Are we in Acts 2.42 church experiencing 2.47 results? Are we in Acts 2.42 church experiencing 2.47 results? That's the question I really want us to ask tonight. Because I think when we get the truth of that answer, it's going to really, really change the way we see 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, 11 o'clock on a Monday morning, Thursday morning at 5.45, Wednesday at 6 p.m. It's going to change everything we do and say around here when we get honest about that question. As we look, before we look into uh, the areas I want us to focus on and, and, and how do we make disciples in our small group Bible studies, there are four points I want us to keep in mind as we discover how to make, uh, make disciples. One is, making disciples has to be intentional. It never happens by accident. Somebody doesn't accidentally 
just wake up one day and they're all of a sudden a mature believer and they're sharing Jesus with others and they're investing. It doesn't happen that way. If we look through, if we look through the Gospels and even into the New Testament, um, man, Jesus was intentional about inviting men into his life to disciple. Paul was intentional about taking people with him on his missionary journeys. Barnabas was intentional about going to Tarsus and getting Saul and bringing him to teach in Antioch for a year. They were intentional. We must be intentional. Our Bible study leaders have to be intentional when they teach. Am I making disciples? When we come together at 9 o'clock, when we serve together in one of our ministries, are we intentional about making disciples? Because it will not happen by accident. And thinking it will happen any other way other than being intentional, we will never see a disciple made in this church. Number two, making disciples is part of being a disciple. If you're not helping us make disciples, then the question is, you've got to step back and say, well, am I being a disciple? Because if I'm not contributing to helping somebody else become a disciple of Jesus Christ, then I have to step back and say, wait a minute. Because isn't that what Jesus told his followers, his disciples in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples. If you're a disciple, you're making disciples. So if you're not helping us make disciples, then step back and say, whoa, I might need to reevaluate whether I, I'm really a disciple of Jesus or not. Number three, we have to be careful about accepting mediocrity. We have to be careful about settling. We have to be careful about saying, well, we've got 20 Sunday school classes. Yay! I got a teacher in every class. Yay! I got 30 showing up. Yay! Man, we can't settle for that. That's the MDR. That's a minimum daily requirement. Every church has Bible study or Sunday school Every church, the Southern Baptist Church, has teachers. Every Sunday school class has people attending. May not be a lot. Man, even the speakers got excited. Listen, we can't settle on the status quo. I want you to look at a clip. This is from the movie Hoosiers. Anybody ever seen the movie Hoosiers? I love that movie. I love sports movies. It's about... It's about Indiana basketball, and there's a lot of themes going through this uh, in this movie. You haven't seen it, you got to get it, watch it. Uh, Gene Hackman plays a coach who has a history, and he comes to this small town because of a friend, and he's going to help them rebuild their basketball uh, program. And it's, it's, you know, small town versus big city. It's relational and second chances and relation conflicts and, and trust and faith in one another. And there's a lot of things, a lot of different... Um, different uh, themes going through this. But to, in this particular clip, uh, Gene Hackman, who's the basketball coach, has come to town, and he's going to the barbershop to meet the men and uh, get, their, get their input on the basketball program. Watch with me. Last time you coached was 12 years ago? Yes, that's right. Where? Uh, that was in uh, Ithaca, New York. Uh, what you've been doing since? Well, I've been in the Navy for the last 10 years. I was a chief petty officer. Well, uh, looks like you're going to need a little help. Since I've been running practices the last couple of weeks, I'll help you out until you get your feet wet. 
This town doesn't like change much. So we thought we'd get together here tonight and uh, show you how we do things here. We trust that you're a fine, upstanding, God-fearing man with Christian morals and principles who will, will set an example and a standard of leadership for our boys. Tell me, do you believe in man-to-man -man or zone defense? <laughs> zone defense is all we've played in the past, yeah, and right. it's the only thing that'll work this year. That's right. That's right. That's right. for us. Our boys are too small, but uh, remember, we were 15 and 10 last year, and we got all our boys back but one. Listen, I ain't interested in talking defense here, and I don't have a hair of a notion why we hired someone who's been in the water for the last 10 years. <laughs> now the main point here is we don't get Jimmy Chipwood back playing ball we don't have a prayer right. he switches right. over to Terhune we're in big trouble Mister's right Jimmy's the jack to their it's been real nice talking to you good night <laughs> it's been real nice talking to you seemed like they did a lot of talking and and you heard several things that they were talking about but did you notice the man that volunteered to help him I'll help you till you get your feet wet and he went and sat in the barber's chair and what did he say about the team's record the year before anybody catch that 15 and 10 you know what he was bragging about barely being average he was bragging about being winning 60 percent of their games he was bragging about just being barely more above average. I don't get that. You see, I, I know people that, that brag about their Bible study classes and the numbers and all that stuff, and I get that. We, I measure everything. I've got a spreadsheet that's got numbers in it since I've been here. <laughs> Our staff can attest to that. But here's what really makes the difference. Are we making disciples? You see, if we're not starting new classes, of, here's what excites me. When I have a teacher that goes, Mike, I've got two, two, two folks that are ready to take their own class. Whenever you're ready, you've got a group of people, I've got somebody that's going to take that class for you. Hey, I, we are doing some ministry outside the walls. What do we need to do? We want to get connected to, to our community. What do you need us to do, Mike? Hey, we need some volunteers in, 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 in Win Littles on Sunday morning. Our class would do that. Some of our classes are actually doing that. That's exciting to me. They're willing to go serve and sacrifice some time with their folks. Hey, listen, we, I want to do this. Our class wants to be that. That's great. Come see me. That's what excites me. Not the number of classes we have, not the number of people we have in there. Because people can sit in that class and die and go into hell all the same. If we're not making disciples. Here's what I think about being average as the church. As I was studying, God brought this to mind. He said, God did not give up his only son so the church could be happy about being mediocre and being average. I don't believe he went up there and said, son, I want you to go die for those folks so they can just do the minimum daily requirement or the Sunday daily requirement so they can check off stuff off their, off their list on Sundays. I don't believe that's why Jesus died. I don't believe that's why God created the church so that we can just come and sit and so can go home and be happy. Look at us. 
Jesus didn't die so we could be average. So we need to be careful about accepting mediocrity. And then the fourth thing I want us to keep in mind is making disciples happens in a loving, healthy community based on healthy relationships. Dustin said this morning, people in Wynn are not going to know that we love them as long as we can't love one another. If you can't love the people in your class, how are you going to love the people outside your class? How are you going to love other people in the church? How are you going to love people at work? How are you going to love people on your kids' team, your coaches, referees who don't make the right calls? How are you going to love them? We have to have loving, healthy communities here. That's what fosters discipleship. That's what fosters um, making disciples. That's the factory. Loving, healthy relationships that are meeting to make disciples. So we need those. They do, without those, we will not complete our mission. Tonight I want to give you five areas that we, as, a, as, as small group Bible studies, if we were to focus on these things, I think we can make disciples. And, and let me just tell you, they're straight out of our adult Bible study team playbook. Matter of fact, they're right here. They're right here on page two. Matter of fact, I have a bunch of them down here. And, I, and, you know, most of your Bible study teachers have them. If you want one, you come get one too. And if we run out, let me know and I'll make you one. Here's why I think it's important. You ought to know what's expected out of your leadership because somebody, you need to hold them accountable and say, hey, are we, are we doing these things? And just to be honest, there's some ideas of how to do some of the things that we're talking about in there too. What does it look like when we're doing this? So there's some ideas as well. So here's the first area that, that's in here, that we will make disciples if we will teach interactive, life-changing, Bible-based lessons. What did they do in Acts 2.42? The very first thing, they, the new believers, they devoted themselves, committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Now, the teaching of the apostles was simply the things that they had heard and saw Jesus do and say. And they were teaching these guys, and some of them were hard things. And so I asked our teachers, listen, you're going to have to dive in. You're going to have to get deep sometimes. You're going to have to wrestle with some difficult things. And it's okay if your class wrestles with those things too, because that's how we grow. That's how we develop conviction. I often tell classes when I teach, I don't want any Sunday school answers. Those are anything that's like Jesus, love, God, church, Sunday school. Is there anything, prayer maybe? You know, none of those. Let's get, and if you give me a general answer, I'm going to tell you, ask you why or where that came from. Because, guys, until we, until we wrestle with some of the hard truths that Jesus, that Jesus shared and we read about in Scripture, we're not going to grow. Listen, if I just feed you baby food all the time, you're not going to grow. You may get like, you know, a little fat baby, but you're not going to be healthy and you're not going to grow. Because you're not going to get what you need to grow. And so I wanted to be life-changing. Our teachers need to be teaching for life change, not for knowledge. Anybody can read and get knowledge. Anybody can listen to something and get knowledge. But I want, I want teachers who are digging and saying, I want to see the men and the women in my class. I want to see them. I want to see their lives changed. I want to see, see how they're committed to Christ and how... How it makes a difference in their life on Monday morning. I want it to be interactive. They don't need two sermons on a Sunday morning. They're about to hear one of the best speakers in the house. 
and it probably ain't you. And so if your job, you think, is to preach a sermon on Sunday morning, then I need you to stop and make it interactive. And here's another reason. I don't have every experience with every scripture in the Bible. I remember I was the first church I served at full-time, and I I honestly believe in interactive teaching. And part of that is because that's how I teach. I like to ask questions, and I like to, to interact with people. But... I remember I had a teacher, and he was really good. And I, just, I, I sat in his class, and I said, man, we met. I said, if you started asking, like, two or three really good questions, I think, man, your class would take off. And he's like, man, Mike, I, I'm just used to teaching out of the curriculum. I said, I know. Break out of the box. It's okay. And so he did. And that first Sunday, he came to me and said, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what happened? I said, I asked a question about the scripture we were studying. And I had a couple over here who raised their hand and said, I want you to know, God gave us this scripture when our daughter, our teenage daughter, was running from the Lord, and we were struggling with our relationship with Him, and it gave us peace to know that God was still care for us, and just just shared how that was a blessing to them. Over on this side of the class, he said, was another couple who was experiencing the exact same thing with their teenager, and raised their hand and said, "We needed that today. We're so struggling in our relationship with our teenager, and I, we just need some hope." And that, team, that family ministered to that family. See, that's what happens when it's interactive. We get to minister to one another and get to share our experiences with God and with Scripture. And we get to encourage one another. So I want it life-changing. I want it interactive. I want it based on the Bible. I want us opening our Bibles on Sunday morning and saying, This is the Word of God. And this can change your life. And I think... There's a place for books and stuff. I think that's okay at times. Um, But to be honest, I think it ought to be Bible-based. We ought to walk into a class with our Bible ready to go. And here's the thing. I think some of you who aren't teachers that sit in those classes, you ought to be prepared too. You need to be knowing, where are we going next week? I want to be prepared. I want to come in, and I want to help make disciples. I want to contribute. But most of you show up. You haven't looked at, if you got a quarterly, you haven't looked at it all day, all week. And so you're opening it, trying to read, figure out what passage, where are we at now? What lesson are we on? If you don't have a quarterly and your teacher's just teaching through a book of the Bible or something, then, then you ought to know where you're going to be. Man, read ahead. Come with some questions. That's what they were doing there. They were meeting together and they were asking each other questions. And, well, did you understand that? Or, or how did you get that? Or, and what's the Spirit been telling you? Life change, interactive, Bible-based lessons. Here's a second area I think we need to focus on teaching and then reach this is very critical reach it says in verse 47 that the Lord added to their number daily to those who were being saved do you think those people woke up one day and said I'm saved Woo-hoo. no I think they encountered one of these 3,000 and some of those early followers and disciples of Jesus Christ and somebody was telling them about Jesus And they were getting excited because now they have hope. Now their life was different. Now they have encountered the living Jesus. Their sins have been covered by his blood. They've been filled with the spirit of God. And now they they can know him personally and relationally. That's how I think they were being added. People were telling people about Jesus. They couldn't help it. And so I think that, that to reach people, we need to be open to new people and reaching out to them. 
I remember having a teacher tell me one time, hey, Mike, we got about 15, and that's about good for our class. I went, no, it's not. <laughs> that's where you start. Man, fill that puppy up. We can't settle for just 15, and that's okay for us. Because then we get to be these holy huddles and the frozen chosen people. But being open to new people and reaching out to them. Everybody that fills a guest card in this worship center gets assigned to a Bible study class. We've asked Bible study classes to give us either the name of the teacher who will follow up with them or an outreach leader. And we send them that information. We don't get much back. So we don't even know if they're being contacted and being invited to a Bible study class. You realize some of you would double your classes if you followed up with the people that we assigned to your class. If somebody would call them and say, hey, listen, I noticed you came to worship last Sunday. Man, we would love for you to check us out in Bible study. Man, we have a great time. Here's what we're studying. We'd love for you to come. I'll meet you at the Welcome Center, help you get your kids settled, whatever. But we don't know if that's happening because nobody bothers to let us know. Because to be honest, I don't think we're doing much of it. Because here's what I know. I gave teachers their, their, a copy of their role the last couple weeks with six weeks worth of attendance. And you know what some of them said to me? I don't recognize some of these people on here. You know why? Because we've assigned them and nobody's followed up. Nobody's done anything with them. So you don't know them because you haven't contacted them. Because we're not really open to new people. We're open to our people. So we need to be open to new people. Here's the other thing. We need to be reaching out to class members. I can't tell you the number of people I've met in this town that used to be a part of here. And I've, when I first got here, and I would say, hey, man, I hear you used to be part. Yeah, I was out for this long, and not one person from our class contacted me. We don't know if they had a real need or not. Maybe they're just upset. I don't know. But that's happened more than once. So what that really tells us is if you show up, we care about you. If you don't, maybe. Then I think we ought to, to reach people, we ought to be providing activities where new folks and inactive folks could come and not feel, you know, where they're comfortable, like a party or a cookout. How many of you like parties? Y'all not like parties? I see a few hands. And some of our classes are really good, man. Man, they're having, uh, one of our classes had a bonfire not too long ago. Invite everybody, and no matter who's on your roll, let them know. Say, hey, we want you to come. Come hang out with us. Matter of fact, if they're new or haven't been there in a while, don't ask them to bring anything. Just come and hang out. Have a bonfire. Have a cookout. And when I was in Dustin's class, man, we had, we had crawfish bowls, baby. Listen, you ain't seen some Baptists until you see nothing but elbows around a table like this. Law, man, you can't get a word in edgewise. You got to wait till they get through eating, and don't reach in there and grab them. You'll pull back a nub. You know, you'll you'll lose a finger in there. Listen, we love to get together and have parties. We love to have cookouts. So do that. It's okay. Matter of fact, I encourage our Bible study classes. Do one once a quarter. Just invite everybody on your roll. Just say, hey, come on, we're going to do this. We're going to do it at this place, and we want you to come. Bring your kids. Don't bring your kids. I don't know. That's up to you. But do something that will get them together. Now, practically speaking, I want to tell you a couple things that you can do besides a party. Number one is, how many of you have a red chair in your class? If you don't, let me know. I will get you one this week. You know what that red chair represents? People who aren't here yet. 
once a month, twice a month, every Sunday. I don't. Someone ought to be putting that red chair up and going, who needs to be here that's not here yet? Who needs to be here? Let's pray for them. Let's, let's just write there by first name. Let's just pray for them. Mike, Cindy, Josh, and whoever. Bob, Sam, Sue. Not you, Sue. I'm sorry. Not Sue Hyrus. She's there. But, um, but maybe, you know, I don't know. But began praying, Lord, give us opportunity to invite these people to be here to experience loving, healthy community. They can experience the, the gospel of Jesus in person. That's what that red chair is for. And, and listen, when they come, don't sit them in the red chair, okay? Oh, look, we've been praying for you to sit here. Here's your chair. Just let them be part of the group. Hey, and if they're an inactive member, they haven't been there in a while, let me just give you a word of warning. Do not, there's one question you never ask. Anybody know what that is? Huh? Where have you been? Yeah, they may not want to tell you. They may be embarrassed. The Lord may have been working on them. So just be glad that they're there and invite them in. Here's the other thing. Begin building relationships with lost people and people who don't know Jesus. Now, there's a novel idea. Build relationships with lost people. Find some lost people. Listen, if you don't know lost people, ask God to put lost people in your path this week. I guarantee you, because he will do that, because that's his heart. He came to seek and save that which was lost. So build lost people. So here's the number three. Number two, uh, we're going to teach, we're going to reach. Number three, we're going to care. We're going to care. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You get that? That word fellowship, koinonia, you know what it, you know what it, literally, it literally means? They were sharing life together. Do you have somebody that you share life with? Do you have friends or, or other believers that you just get together and they encourage you and you encourage them? That when things are wrong at 2 o'clock in the morning, you could pick up the phone and call them and say, man, I need to talk, man, this has happened, and man, I just need... All right, you know, something's happened to our family. I need somebody to watch Josh for a few hours. I know it's early in the morning. Can I drop him off? And Yeah, or I'll be there or whatever. Do you have anybody like that? See, that's what they were doing. They were living life together. They were hanging out together in their neighborhoods, in their homes, wherever. They were caring for one another, and, and they did it in community. Imagine that. That you have to be in a relationship with somebody to care for them. You have to be in community with other people to care for them. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts, and they broke bread in their home and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Again, they were just hanging out, loving on one another, helping each other. I mean, you understand that some of these people were Jewish and they were no longer, because they were Christians, no longer accepted in Jewish culture. The other Jews weren't buying from them anymore. They were kicked out of the synagogue, maybe even excluded from their family activities because they're, they're now a follower of this guy named Jesus Christ. They were, people thought they were a sect. It was different. But yet they came together with one another and helped each other. So they cared for one another. Number four, serve. It says they sold property in verse 45 and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. They were sacrificing. 
See, when you serve, you sacrifice. You give up something for somebody else. And that's what they were doing. They were sacrificing for other people. They gave up, they sold and then said, hey, man, you need some money to make rent? Let me help you. Hey, you need some food to eat for your family? Here, I've got some. See, they did that in community, in relationships. They didn't even know what the needs were when they did it. They sold their stuff and then they gave it to them as they had need. As the need arose, the church, the community would meet that need. Are we helping people meet the need, their needs in this church? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves and our desires and, and what we have so that others may have as well? I think that we need to be serving within the adult Bible study class. I think your class needs to be serving somewhere. Everybody needs a place of ministry. They need to be serving somewhere, either in your class or somewhere. I also think you need to be ministering outside the walls of your church. I believe that not only will you impact our community, but you will impact those within the community of your small group Bible study class. People, listen, especially guys, they build relationships doing stuff together. Ladies, we don't sit around in the living room drinking coffee and, and talking about life. Now, if that was us, we'd turn on football and go, mmm, Arkansas, mmm, Alabama, roll tide, mmm. Okay, some of y'all wouldn't say that last one. Yeah, we don't sit and talk, ladies. We do stuff, and when we do stuff, we like to do it together. And when we do it together, it helps us build relationships with other men. But you need to be out getting outside the walls of your church, of your class, because as long as you're crammed in that class, that's going to be your focus. And if you're going to grow and help make disciples, you've got to start with lost people, and that's where they are. We need to go where they are. And then number five, we need to multiply. Multiply. It says the Lord did add to their number daily those who were being saved. And I think that as they were being added, leaders were being raised up. Home, home, I think there were people in those homes who were helping disciple. I think leaders grew out of that over time and, and began to start new groups. And I think we need to be multiplying our Bible study classes so that we can provide more bridges into our community so that people can get connected in significant relationships, experience Jesus for the first time, and began becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ and contribute to making, making disciples of others. But I also think that our, our people need to be multiplying themselves. Our leaders, every leader ought to have an apprentice. Somebody else can do what the, you're training to do because someday they're going to need to step out and do it themselves. Teachers ought to be having assistant teachers. If you're a secretary, you need to have a secretary, assistant secretary. Because just to be honest, listen, we're not here 52 weeks out of the year for whatever reason. And somebody else needs to know what we're doing and how to do it. So if we're not here, they can step into that spot. And hopefully one day do it full time. We need to be pouring ourselves into, into others. Now, let me just say, multiply is a natural byproduct of teach, reach, serve, uh, care, and serve. If we're doing those four things, the fifth one, I believe, will begin happening. You're going to have to because, man, if you're doing those first four things, your glass is going to grow. And listen, I don't have room for, for every class to have 30 or 40 people in it. Matter of fact, I don't have room for many more classes now unless we start meeting in the gym. 
I have classes that are meeting around the gym that are overflowing already that need a bigger room, and I don't have them. And part of our, I mean, let's just be honest, part of our, our, our situation here is we don't have an elevator. So everybody who can't walk up steps has to be on the bottom floor. Well, that, man, I fill that up pretty quick. And even if I go upstairs, I don't have very many rooms over here on the East Wing to start new classes. And if you grow, there's small rooms. And so I need you to multiply. I need you to multiply. I need you to multiply. Pour your life into somebody else. Start a new class. Commit today and say, you know what, God? We're going to focus on these first four things, teach, reach, care, and serve. And and I guarantee you, in a year, you're going to need to multiply. You're going to need to start a new class. And that's going to be exciting because... That's another bridge that somebody in our community can connect in significant relationship to Win Baptist Church. Look with me at this picture. Let me see if it's up there. Go ahead and show it. Uh, no, that's not it. Never mind. You can move those slides because that's not, all right, that's not, anyway, that's okay. All right, here's the deal. I have in this book, it broken out different ministry positions by each of those areas. I had that up there. It's not going to work, so it's okay. By those areas. Now, I'm, I like organizing things sometimes. And, and I kind of liken it to um, a basket of, of clean clothes. Now, guys, when we were single, how many of us lived out of the hamper or lived out of the clothes basket? Come on, raise your hand. I know some of you did. How many of you did the, oh yeah, that's another day. You, you did that. Somebody did that, I know. But imagine if this is, the problem with living out of the clothes basket is, you know, especially if you start looking for socks, because I can always only find one sock, right? How many of y'all have run into that? You know, the dryer, the washing machine eats them, and uh, you got one sock, but then you're digging and you're finding and it's chaotic and it's frustrating, it's not organized, it's, it's just a mess. To be honest, that's kind of how, how discipleship is for some of us. It's kind of how our small group Bible studies are when it comes to making Bible, making disciples. It's just a mess. We don't know where things are and what, who's doing what and what's going on. But imagine if you had a table over here and you had a pile of white t-shirts and then I had a pile of, well, my, my regular t-shirts like Dustin's wearing or something. We love wearing t-shirts. So. Then over here I had a pile of white socks and colored socks and dress socks. And, and over here I have, you know, my PJs and shorts. And then over here I have hung up uh, my dress shirts, and then my casual shirts, and then over here I have uh, my jeans, and then over here I have my slacks and khakis, and to be honest, that's exactly what my closet looks like. Oh, it freaks people out. My hanging clothes are organized by purpose and color. I have sports coats, two, dress white shirts, dress black shirts, and then, then it goes into blue, green, brown, red. Then casual shirts, white, black, gray, all the way to orange. Pants underneath my suits and stuff are my slacks, and they're by purpose. I have flat front slacks by color. I have pleated slacks, blue, gray, black, or green's in there somewhere. Then I have my jeans, and these are the ones I wear all the time, and those are the wear sometimes. And then I have khakis and other pants. And then my shelves are organized. My sock drawer is Colored socks, white socks. But you know why that makes sense to me? Because it's systematic. It's organized. I know where to find things. I know where things are. 
I know where things, and oh, and I even like them folded a certain way. Ask Cindy. This was one of the biggest arguments we had when we were first married. I want my shirts folded a certain way. She's like, well, that's just dumb. And I went, okay, but that's still like them folded a certain way. And, uh, and I like my shirts hung a certain way. And, I mean, and I'm real particular. Um, so she goes, here, here's your clothes. You fold them. And I said, okay, I'll do that. So, um, but yeah, even my socks have got to be folded a certain way. I don't want them folded. It's just, it's just nuts. But I'm weird, weird that way. But see, this is, I equate this, not because it's me, but because this is what disciples ought to look like. It ought to be organized and systematic and strategic and coordinated. It shouldn't just be a pile of something that we throw it at our Bible study classes and hope they get it. Because somebody's going to come up with a missing sock. And it's not going to be finished. It's not going to be complete. So here's what I want to say in closing. Remember those several points I mentioned? See, all of this has to happen when we realize that making disciples is intentional. We have to keep that in mind. It will not happen by accident. Making disciples is a part of being a disciple. If you're not helping us make disciples uh, at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings in a small group Bible study, then you need to step back and go, whoa, where am I now? Where do I need to step it up? We have to be careful that we do not get caught in a rut in accepting mediocrity when it comes to making disciples. We can't just do the minimum daily requirement. God requires so much more of us. And he demonstrates that when he gave us his only son. He sacrificed everything. The least we could do is be making disciples today. And then lastly, making disciples happens in loving, healthy community. Here's my question. How does your class do in really making disciples? It's one who knows Christ, grows in Christ, and is going for Christ. Are you covering these areas? Eat, sleep, care, and serve? Are you guys multiplying? If you want one of these books, I have them down here. When we get through, come by and grab one. Find out how we do things, what we do. But my last question to you is, and it's a question I close with, are we in Acts 242 church instead of Acts 247 today? My desire, and I know the desire of our staff, is that we would truly be an Acts 242 church instead of Acts 247 years old. That we would just see people come to know the Lord, be seeing them grow in their in their relationship with you, and then and then and then committing to them and committing to going to you and investing in them as well. Tonight, if you are here and you've never invested in a relationship, you've never made that step to say, you know what? I want to be a disciple. I, I want to do that. And I, then I would encourage you to come on down to uh, Todd and Bethany. And we'll be here. And we'll talk to you. We'll say, hey, man, would you like to come and invest in a relationship with us? Maybe you're here and you've, you've been a part of this church, but you haven't said, hey, I want to make a relationship.